Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Camps are going on, and uh, y'all need to pray for the parents and pray for Alexander, who is uh, working. Well, you don't have to pray for him. He's having a time of his life. Uh, but anyhow, we're going to have a great service this weekend. We've got a baby dedication this weekend, right? It's going to be great. We're, we're dedicating Ephraim. And then the following Sunday, we've got another dedication and a baptism on Father's Day. Not just Dunkadad, an actual water baptism. If you haven't signed up to get water baptized, hey, here's the way you can do it. Not in the dunking booth, but over here. But we do have Dunkadad. That's going to be fun, too. So we're in Prayers at Work, Part 6. This is Praying Through the Tabernacle, Part 4. And I want to give you some interesting points that I came across in my research. I'm trying to finish up Praying Through the Tabernacle, which I will finish up tonight. If you would like a book on Praying Through the Tabernacle, if you'll remember, we started this series, Prayers That Work, by looking at ways to pray more than five minutes. Sometimes you go to pray and you pray like three or four or five minutes and you feel like you've prayed forever and you've run out of things to say. And so we looked at the Lord's Prayer. We looked at the prayer of Jabez and we've been in the prayer uh, through the tabernacle, praying through the tabernacle. If you would like a great book on that, get Anthony Mangan's book called Heaven to Earth. This is a great book on praying through the tabernacle. Some of you remember that a couple years ago, I went to Dallas. He was on TBN. They did a live session with, with Anthony and uh, Tony Suarez and uh, on praying through the tabernacle. And Sister Lane was on there. Vesta Lane was on there. And, and uh, she ended up praying for the whole wide world. Uh, it, was, it was awesome. And uh, he was pushing this book as well. Great book on praying through the tabernacle. So... I found four interesting points in my research for tonight. Let me start out by saying a prayer, and we'll jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your goodness, and for your word and the privilege of prayer. I pray, God, that you would spark us to pray, God, that you would would motivate us to pray. We give you praise for that tonight in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. So the four interesting points in my research for tonight were this. First, the Bible contains more verses describing the tabernacle than any other subject. More verses in your Bible describe the tabernacle than verses that describe any other subject. That should tell us something. It's worth investigating. Second... The tabernacle is sometimes referred to as the house of blood. M.R. Dahan and others are quotes with that. The house of blood. And the reason why is because of the constant sacrifices. According to Exodus 29:39, two lambs were sacrificed every day. One in the morning, one in the evening. And then you had all these other sacrifices on other days and special occasions and feast days. So there was a lot of bloodshed that took place there. Third, if a cubit is a foot and a half, and that's controversial, but somewhere around there, 
The perimeter of the tabernacle was 150 feet by 75 feet. So if you think of a linen curtain that was 150 feet by 75 feet, uh, you, would, you would get a good visual of that. And incidentally, that's the same dimension as the, the outline of Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark. And like Noah's Ark, there was one door. And so Jesus is the door. He said, if any man enter in another way, the same as a thief and a robber, John 10. And also like Noah's Ark, the tabernacle was a place of refuge and safety. And in a sense, it was a transport vehicle to a new world. And with the tabernacle, you're looking at going from sin to salvation. And with the Ark, you're looking from going from a world of sin into a new world that was going to be, uh, you know, where the promises of God would take place. So that's the second point. Third interesting fact, uh, or I'm sorry, fourth interesting fact, that was the third. The fourth interesting fact is this. The tabernacle was a symbol of God being among His people. God being among His people. And any nomadic people of that day, and, and even non-nomadic people who were on some kind of military campaign, conquest campaign, uh, the king would be at the very center of the camp. And if you look at the tabernacle, at the very center, at the heart of it all, was the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, the Shekinah glory would come down and dwell among His people. Listen to the 46th Psalm. The 46th Psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present, present help in trouble. Like Noah's Ark, that refuge, that strength, that present help in the time of trouble. The tabernacle is that. And you'll see it here in a moment. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth is removed and the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raised. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease. To the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. That's the idea of the tabernacle. God dwelling with his people. And in John's prologue he stated that. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt, that word dwelt, it means literally tabernacled, tabernacled. And it was Jesus who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if you want to know the will of God, there it is. 
the will of God is for the Lord to be with us. I mean, isn't that his name shall be called Emmanuel? God with us? That's the will of God, that he is with us, that he is with us in, in, in hard times. When, when things are not going smoothly, though the mountains are moved and cast into the midst of the sea, He wants to be our refuge. He wants to be our ark, our transport, our, our place of safety. When everything is falling apart, our God will make sure that everything is falling into place. Amen. And, and, and that's what, you know, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, and, and here's something cool, too, because the New Testament, it progresses even further. It's not just that the tabernacle, the temple, and then God became flesh, you know, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacle. But Paul would tell the church at Corinth, we are, don't you understand that you are the temple or the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit? So now God comes to live within us. So it's, it's really a, an amazing thing. The tabernacle paints a picture of what the apostles preached. In other words, a picture of Christ and Him crucified. If you go to the second chapter of Acts and you go through those verses where Peter preached that day with the 11 apostles in tow, he preaches the message of Christ and Him crucified. The tabernacle falls right in line with that when it comes to the brazen altar and the labor of water, etc. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. The gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, shows us that. The death, the burial, the resurrection. But it's also a picture of how we respond to that message. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look at those verses. And, and, and when, the Peter, when, when the people heard Peter's message, they said, what do we do? And Peter said, this is what you do. You repent, you're water baptized, you're filled with the Spirit. Again, the, the altar, that brazen altar and that laver of water coming into the Shekinah glory in the holy place. So it's, it's just the tabernacle is rich with significance and meaning. Are you with me? All right. So uh, those were some interesting points that I came across in my study uh, looking at uh, finishing up praying through the tabernacle. So a little review, last time we looked at the seven candles on the menorah, and they can be seen as the seven spirits of God from Isaiah 11, 1 through 2, and uh, you can go back and listen to that, but interesting stuff, the spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and so that means we can pray, because this is a model of prayer, we can pray, Lord, as I'm coming into this holy place and I see this menorah, uh, this, this light, this lampstand, shaped like a tree, interestingly, and I don't have time to get into it, but really the tabernacle is also this return to Eden. And it's shaped like a tree, like the tree of life. There's so much packed into the tabernacle. We need to do a whole study on it. But that menorah... That, that, that as, you're, as you see that, as you're praying, you can use it to pray. Lord, I need wisdom. Let your wisdom flow through me. I need understanding. Let your understanding flow me through me. I, I need uh, counsel. I need might. I need knowledge. I need a deep and abiding fear of the Lord right now. Help me, Lord. And so that's what that represents. And then also, that light, you've got the oil and you've got the illumination that comes from it. 
And so you've got this idea of the Holy Spirit leading us and revealing things to us in the Word. It's part of praying through the tabernacle. You know, the Lord said, Jesus said it. He said, when I go, the Spirit will come. And when He comes, He will speak of me and He will tell you of things to come. He will guide you into all truth. John chapter 16. So the light comes and flows from the Holy Spirit. And He reveals things to us. And revealed truth from the Holy Spirit is the most powerful thing on the face of the earth. I don't mean an intellectual understanding of Scripture. But I mean, not that you check your brain in at the door, but as you're going through the Scripture, it drops from your head to your heart. And the Holy Ghost reveals a truth to your spirit on the inside. It's not just intellectual information. I've told you this before. I had a college professor that was brilliant. And I took a Bible lit course with him. And he knew so much about the Bible. And yet he didn't know anything about the Bible. So he knew intellectually many things about the Bible. But he didn't know Jesus, y'all. He didn't know the truth in those words. The message that was in those words. That's the difference when the Holy Spirit reveals something to you. It is the key that unlocks spiritual power in your life. And, and, and I, I want to drop this on you because this, is, this, this was revolutionary to me. So in Matthew 16, and I've, I've preached on this so many times, but do you mind if I just take a little gander, as my grandma would say, into Matthew 16 just for a moment when Peter is being asked, you know, like, who do you say that I am? Let's take a look at that real quick because I have a little illustration I want to give you. So Matthew 16, and we're going to get back to praying through the tabernacle. We will finish it up. Don't worry. We're going to finish it up tonight. But Matthew 16, so you have Jesus comes to Caesarea Philippi. He says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said John the Baptist. That's what some say. Elijah, some say. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. This is this great confession. You're the Christ. This is powerful. Because Jesus looks like a human being, a man. He does not have a halo. He does not have that picture that we all have in our brains from Baroque era paintings and famous artists renditions or movies. They don't have this this working, oh, that's Jesus the Christ. He's got food in his teeth, food in his beard. He goes to the bathroom. Okay, he gets bad breath at times. He was every much a man as any of them were. And so they see him day in and day out. And in spite of the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, which other men had been anointed to do in the Old Testament, they've heard these stories. They see Jesus, and and there's something that you couldn't pick up with the natural eye. It's kind of looking at the outside of the tabernacle. It's just linen cloth and badger skins. 
wasn't until you got inside that you saw the glory. And so they're looking at the, this exterior, this man. And Simon says, I'll tell you who you are. You're Messiah. You're Jehovah in flesh. And Jesus is, is blown away. I love this. Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed means empowered to prosper. Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood, Jonah, your daddy, did not reveal this to you intellectually. Your dad didn't sit you on his knee and say, let me tell you a story, son. Jesus is God. Didn't, he, he didn't get that. He said, this was not told to you, not revealed to you by your daddy. That's what Bar Jonah means, son of John. Your daddy didn't tell you this, Simon, but my father in heaven. The implication is, has revealed this to you. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and the Holy Spirit revealed to Simon a truth that Jesus was the Christ. And Jesus looked at him, and he said, and I'll tell you something else. Up on this rock, I'll build my church. My church will be made up of people who get a revelation of the word in their spirit. And it will change them. The name Simon means hearer. Hearer. Simon heard the word. But the word changed him to Peter. Which meant rock. It made him rock like. And he said that. And, upon, and your name's Peter now. And upon this rock. Peter means a piece of the rock. And upon this rock is a Gibraltar type rock. It's a, it's a bigger rock. You're, you're a piece of a bigger truth. That bigger truth is now a part of who you are. And, and I'm telling you, I'll build my church by, on people like you. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. This is not saying, Peter, you're going to be the leader of the church. It's not saying you're the pope. It's not saying I'm giving you this chair, this throne, and, and you're going to be the one upon whom the church is built. It's not saying that. He's saying I'll build my church out of people just like you as I reveal truth to them from the word. Are you with me? That's what he's saying. I'm going to build a church filled with people like you. And when you get that kind of truth, hell can't take it from you. When it's revealed. And he would go on and he would say, and I'm telling you, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Revealed truth is like, so, so let me back up for a second. I, I just, I don't, I don't have them on me, they're in my office, but uh, I just got some keys cut. And I went up here to Hutch's Hardware on 621. Oh, Hutch, man, we love Hutch. Hutch loves us too. We spent lots of money as a church at Hutch's Hardware, Ace Hardware up there. But, but at, at Hutch's, they got a new key machine, y'all. You know how you'd go get keys cut, and, and you got junior high school student, you know, that's like, oh, I can do that for you. And they're like, rrr, rrr, and they cut it, you know, and you go try it, and it doesn't work. Anybody ever done that? You're like, doggone, it doesn't work, you know. Now, you know what they do at Hutch's? They take your key. Oh, you don't have to take it off the ring. What? No. They stick it in this, like, like a, a keyhole, like a lock. They stick it in there. And the little computer reads it, and man, it cuts a perfect key. 
And what was a blank now is cut and now unlocks a door. When the Holy Spirit reveals a truth to you, it's like the Holy Spirit is cutting your spirit and now you have access to places you wouldn't have before. It opens the door to the power that's been promised. That's, it's not just faith. Like, we think of faith as being, I, I, I hear the word, I've intellectually processed it, and now I believe. Faith is a spiritual force. And, and when I say that, don't take it wrong. I floated in the New Age. I'm not talking about New Age and all that kind of stuff and like Star Wars and, and whatnot. But I mean... The, the fruit of the, one of the, part of the fruit of the Spirit and the gift of the, the gifts of the Spirit, one of them is faith. It's a spiritual force, and it's, it's a thing of the heart, is what I'm trying to say. It's a thing of the heart. My mind can get into agreement, I can be open, but when the Holy Spirit reveals a truth to your heart and to your spirit, it empowers you and it gives you access to places, very powerful places that you couldn't have elsewhere. Are you with me? So, so that is very powerful. Uh, the, the fact that, you know, the Holy Spirit can reveal truth to you. And when you're praying in the tabernacle, you can pray, God, reveal truth to me. Help me to see the truth. Open my heart. We used to sing that song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. He that has ears to hear. Hey, we all got ears. But everybody don't have ears to hear in their heart. You have, you have to be open to that. Open to that. So, <clears throat> now we come to the table of showbread. And it's a table of 12 loaves of bread on it. And, and of course... Jesus is the bread of life. We feast on Jesus. The word is, is, is uh, also represents, the bread represents the word. I'm going to feast on Christ Jesus. I'm going to feast on the word about him. Uh, yes, but the 12 loaves, and this is where I want to focus tonight, is the 12 loaves in the holy place. I, they symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel, like right there. In the tabernacle, they symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's the covenant people of God. So I would say this. When, you, when you're praying and you come to the holy place and uh, you've gone to the menorah and you see the, the 12 loaves at the table of showbread, you can think about Jesus, the bread of life. Uh, you can look at the word. But I would say this. We need to thank God for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. I want to be thankful. That, that I have brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you Lord. For your people. Not just in my local church. But in other local churches. And not just in other local churches. In Baton Rouge or Louisiana or the United States. But around the world. I would take it a step further. Thank you, Lord, for the church in the past, my brothers and sisters that have gone on. And thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that have yet to be born into this kingdom, Lord. Thank you for the people of God. Thank you, Lord, for my, my brothers and sisters all around the world, all nationalities, all ethnicities, socioeconomic statuses. I mean, every time frame. Thank you, Lord. 
for the body of Christ that is fitted together by you. I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters. Why don't you look at somebody next to you right now and say, I thank God for you. And when you go into your time of prayer, thank God for the church, for your brothers and sisters. You're not in this alone. You are not in this alone. There's a lot of us together, and we need to thank the Lord for our brothers and sisters. Well, then in the holy place, we come to another piece of furniture. And it's interesting, you really have seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle, which is a number of completion, so much cool stuff. But this represents this altar of incense, this golden altar of incense. It represents the prayers of God's people. Prayers of God's people. Prayers never die. With all the blood that was being shed in this tabernacle, I mean, after the barbecue pit died down, because they're burning some of that, when the barbecue pit died down, you could have a rancid smell. But this altar of incense was a sweet-smelling savor. And that's what prayers are to the Lord. A sweet-smelling savor. We were driving down the road the other day on a little trip. And, and uh, Lyra was in the car with us. And Valerie, I didn't know it, she opens a little package. Just a tiny little package. That had pickles in it. And I was like. I can't, you know, what? I, I mean, can I, I don't want to be gross or anything, but like pickles, like they kind of smell like feet, right? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's kind of like, I'm like, what? What is that smell? What? What is? Finally, I was like, what is that smell? She's like, oh, it's it's pickles. I'm like, who opens pickles in the car? You know? Well, she did that day, so. the tabernacle could smell like a butcher shop after the barbecue pit. I mean, it could get nasty smelling, but those incense kept it smelling sweet. I I want you to know that the Lord likes it when His people pray. It's a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. Revelation 5.8, And when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. God's holy people. God's covenant people. The prayers. They're, they're a sweet smelling incense, a fragrance to the Lord. Revelation, Revelation 8, 3 through 4. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. It's this sweet smelling savor. Psalm 141.2 says, Let my prayer be set before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. The golden altar of incense is where 
requests could be presented to the prayer answering God. So here we are in this holy place, y'all. We've walked through all these pieces of furniture. We've come into this place. You might as well ask God for some stuff. You might as well. I told you from the beginning, prayer is not just about going through rote or ritual. It's about connecting with God. And part of it is to get answers. Answer. I need God to answer this prayer. I'm not just dropping my requests off. I'm expecting some results from my requests. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, and I don't know if, if you've picked up on this, but this is interesting too. As you get deeper into the tabernacle, the metals become more and more precious. We started with linen and, you know, then badger skins. And then we come to the metal. You've got the brazen or the brass altar. And brass often represents judgment because it's, it's tried by fire and sacrifice. And then you have the brass laver, this cleansing. Silver sockets, those, those pillars are set in silver sockets, which represents blood. It's the, the tent is resting on the blood. Silver, 30 pieces of silver, blood money. Jesus was betrayed. And then the gold represents deity. So you're getting more and more precious the deeper you get into it. And then we come through the veil. Through the veil. The, the veil is this curtain that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. And the holiest place of all. The veil is, is the, the flesh of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Which has a lot to say about the tabernacle. Notice this. Therefore, brethren... Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So this holiest place by the blood. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil. That is his flesh. How much clearer can it be? And having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, so much typology in here. So much, so much uh, metaphor, allegory, idioms loaded in this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I preached about that Sunday. Not, not just gather more, but exhort and encourage one another more, especially as you see the day approaching. So there you have it, the veil of his flesh. And the veil was torn. You remember when Christ was crucified, when he died, when he gave up the ghost on the cross, the Bible says the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. So this would be in Zerubbabel's temple, remodeled by Herod, because you had the tabernacle. Uh, you really had the tent of meeting, then you had the tabernacle, and the tent of meeting and the tabernacle referred to separately at times and together at times, but you really have the tent of meeting preceding the tabernacle. But I digress. Then you had Solomon's temple, which was huge. It was the same idea as the tabernacle, but on a grander scale. Instead of one menorah, in, like in the tabernacle in Solomon's temple, there were ten menorahs. 
So it was on a much grander scale, but the same idea and the same kind of setup. But in, in, in Zerubbabel's temple, which was built after Solomon's and Herod remodeled it, so the one that was in existence when Jesus died, when he died on the cross, that veil was ripped from top to bottom. And, and, and it's not now there's access, you know, into the holiest place of all because the veil of his flesh was rent. Amen. So, so you, you also then, that veil going into that holiest place of all, that veil was held up by four posts. Four posts held that up. And those posts have been seen to be like the Gospels. And this is good in your prayer time. If you want to walk through prayer, then here you are. You, you're coming into the holiest place of all. The veil is his flesh. It's thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross to give me access into the holiest places in, in your presence, Lord. And that veil was upheld on these four posts. You have some that look at this, and I think this is good. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You've got the gospel story contained in those books. And then you also have the idea that, Father, I want to live like you want me to live. You said, if I wanted to be your disciple, I needed to take up my cross and follow you. We used to sing that song. I want to live the way he wants me to live. Anybody remember that? I want to give. I, I want to live like the, the Lord wants me to live. And so here you It's a great song. Isn't that a great song? I want to love. Love till there's just no more love. Ever out love the Lord. Come on now. Amen to that. It makes me go, that makes me want to go play it and sing it. The idea is, is just coming in, you know, like, thank you, Lord. For the sacrifice you made. God, I want to be willing to lay my life down. I mean, you laid your life down for me. And that's how I have access. Thank you. I could never, I could never love like you. But I, I, want to, I want to lay my life down. I want to take up my cross. Not my will, but yours be done. That, that's the kind of stuff that I, I, I'm kind of hung up on. That's missing in modern church. Not my will, but yours be done. Modern church, what is up with us as human beings? We, we want the shallow end of the pool only. We want the kiddie pool only. We want to play in the shallow water. We want, bless me, bless me, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy. We, we just want the, the feel good. We want no controversy. We, we, don't, we want everybody to love us. We want to get along with everybody in the whole wide world. When the Bible says the carnal mind is enmity against God. And the Lord's like, I've got depths. I've got riches. I've got stuff. And it's going to set you at odds with the rest of the world. But if you'll take up your cross and follow me. Hey, I'll put some things in your spirit. I'll open the windows of heaven and bless you like you can't imagine. I'll empower you and you'll see signs and miracles and wonders. I'll do stuff through you. There's a depth that God wants to get us to. And I'm just telling you, I'm tired of playing in the shallow end of the pool. 
I want to get out there into the deep stuff. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I'm coming in, Lord. I'm pledging to live like you live. And here we come to the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant in the holy place of all. It's the only piece of furniture in here. The Ark, well, it's really, there's two pieces of furniture in one. So let's go through it. The Ark was a chest, basically, like a hope chest. It's made of acacia wood. It's overladen in pure gold. And it's basically a two and a half by two and a half by three foot box thereabouts. And it's, it's just a, a, a box. And inside the box, you have the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, the, the stone tablets that were given to Moses. And then you have a pot of manna. And you have Aaron's rod that bloomed. Aaron's rod that bloomed. And, and these are miraculously sustained in this Ark of the Covenant. Now... The tablets of stone are obvious. It's the law. It represents order. It represents God's prescribed way of doing things. And then the pot of manna, it represents the provision of God. The miraculous provision of God. And then Aaron's rod that bloomed, he made a way where there seemed to be no way. It's this idea of signs and miracles and wonders. And so... In that Ark of the Covenant. And again, sometimes we will make the Ark of the Covenant more like the Ark of the Holy Spirit or the Ark of the Presence of God. But it's technically called the Ark of the Covenant. It's like if we can get the covenant right, the presence is a guarantee. And so it's all about the words of the covenant. We're the covenant people. We're in a relationship with God. A, a, a covenant is greater than a contract. A contract it, it, you, you can sign the dotted line, but there's no swearing of oaths. In a covenant, there are sworn oaths, solemn oaths that are sworn. And God has sworn things to His people. And, and one of them is to provide for our every need. And there you've got that pot of manna. I will supply your daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. And then that rod of Aaron's that bloomed. When all hope looked lost, that thing began to bloom. What do you have in your life that looks hopeless? I, I promise you, God can bring life to it. And you can pray through that. God, I'm your covenant son, your daughter. I'm in this place because of your word, Lord. And, and I'm asking you, Lord, for order in my life and the miraculous in my life, Father, and your provision in my life. But on top of that chest, you have the mercy seat. The mercy seat was a lid. And on the mercy seat, you had these cherub creatures, cherubim. And, and they're, they're looking, they're facing each other. I should have thrown a picture up there. They're facing each other. Their wings are almost touching, but they're looking down at the, the seat, the mercy seat. And really what it did was it was making a throne where the Shekinah, the glory of God, would descend when the blood was sprinkled. I'll get to that in a moment. But the Shekinah, the glory of God would descend and he would take his seat on that throne as the king in the midst of his people. And, and hey, when the king was in the house, that's why they said, though the mountains be moved and cast into the sea, we're not going to be afraid 
The king is in the house. The king is amongst us. That's why they would bring that ark into battle. When their hearts were right and that ark was with them and they're marching into the battle, it was assured victory belonged to them. Victory belonged to them. Then when they got off and they started getting mystical with it, it didn't work. Because God can't be boxed in like that. But the idea is he was enthroned amongst his people. And the Bible says that, that God dwells in the midst, 22nd Psalm, of his people Israel. Now, that doesn't just mean the ethnic descendants of Abraham, but he dwells in the midst of his covenant people. So here today, if any is in Christ, then, then we're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Those promises belong to us. He inhabits, he, he is enthroned on the praises of his people. So here we come into that holy place. We can talk about those elements there in, the, in that, that uh, Ark of the Covenant. But I, don't wanna, I, I would be remiss if I didn't deal with the mercy. The mercy seat. Hey, would none of us be in this house if it wasn't for the mercy of God? It's because of His mercies being new every day that we're not consumed. Do you know what that means? It's kind of like manna. If they didn't have manna that day, they went hungry. If I don't have mercy this day, I'm not going to make it into the next day. I need mercy every day, and so do you. So do you. And so here you have the mercy seat, the mercy of God. It, it, it's, 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 it's av- stand with me right now. It's available every single day. And the reason why is because that high priest, he would have dipped this hyssop. He went in there once a year. This was only a place where the priest went once a year. One guy, one time, once a year. But if he got everything just right, he had this this thing called hyssop. He, He would dip that in blood, the blood of the sacrificial lamb. And he would come into that place behind the veil. And man, those rabbis get mystical. Because there's really no division. That, that veil's pretty thick. And there was no opening. So how did he get from the holy place to the holy of holies? Oh, you go reading the rabbis. They're like, he was teleported. You know, he, he, he went into you know, quantum physics. Ended up on the other. They get deep with it. I don't know how he got from here to there. But once a year he did, Nick. Somehow he got from here to there. And he got in and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. And it was only because of that blood that their sins were covered. And it's only because of the blood of Jesus that we have access. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. Didn't he say it? I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Before him there was none. After him there will be none. I'm telling you, he's the end all be all. It's all about Christ Jesus. And when we come into that holy place and we begin to pray, I'm telling you, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Would you close your eyes with me right now? Father, I pray, God, that you would inspire your people to pray. God, these are just tools, just mechanisms, just means to get us to string some words together from our heart. 
that can have the ability to open the windows of heaven. I mean, tag us into this, bring us into this place spiritually, God, that, that the heavens open and prayers are answered. A place of faith, God, where the prayer of faith saves the sick and, and, and sins are forgiven and mountains are moved. And, and Father, things happen. There are results. It's just a means, God. Inspire your people to Thank pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.